Over the summer, our family took a break to another beach, not just Kapiti Beach, and we went up north to Mount Monganui. And something our family loves to do, well, my boys, this is, if you're a father of boys, you might relate, even when you don't feel like it, we go down to the beach after dinner and we play the game called Spike Ball on the beach, which is like a ball game. Now, now one night when we were down there, there was uh, two of my boys and my nephew, uh, Samuel, who's about 19, after playing, we noticed that about 50 metres from where we were playing, there was a big hole in the sand, Mount Monganui Beach. So we went over, there were some guys passing by, we got the story, apparently a couple of surfers had taken, taken some shovels and had been there literally most of the day digging a hole. And the hole was, I'm going to say, one, two, three, three or four metres wide and about two metres deep. So I'm six foot, I'm going to say seven feet. Um, this was a pretty big hole. It was like a cylinder. The walls were flat. So boys being boys, Quinn, Ashlyn, my nephew and I, we jumped down the hole and had a competition. Yeah, yeah, shaking your head, right? Like why? Were, or I didn't have that wisdom. So we jumped down the hole and we thought, let's have a competition to see who can get out first. <laughs> So, yeah, 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 it's easy to laugh now, isn't it? So I'm down the hole, and uh, we're down there, and it's like, ready, set, go. Instantly, the boys start wrestling each other, because not only do they want to be first, but they want to make sure none of the others win, but they leave me alone. I'm thinking, this is my opportunity. Here we go. Step, 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 jump, and I just smacked into this wall of sand. I'm like... Okay, that winded me a little bit, uh, hurt my feelings a little bit, but here we go. The boys are still wrestling themselves, jumping for the walls and then dragging down. Here we go. I got it this time. I've got to pump the legs, Mark. Pump the legs. So I'm like, run, run, run. Pump the legs. Uh, it hurt, actually, again. Uh, so then after about 10 minutes of doing this, finally Ashlyn, who's a little monkey, okay, a large monkey, just like jump up and he's out. He got away from his cousin. Uh, and then I'm still going, okay. Okay, I can, I can use my brains to get out of here. I can collapse some of the wall and try and make steps. It would have taken hours and hours. It was a very big wall of sand. Ashlyn gets bored, jumps back in, then jumps out. I'm like, okay, whatever. Run, run, jump. Winded myself, hurt. This isn't going to work. Uh, another 10 minutes. My nephew gets out. He is a determined young man. He finally made it out of the hole. Quinn got some help. He's a little shorter. I was stuck in the hole. Ashlyn had been out five or six times. He tried, he even found a bit where the wall was the highest and climbed out of there. I was stuck in the hole. This morning, I want to talk about getting unstuck because sometimes life feels like I felt in that hole. Very, 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 very stuck and there was no way out. Spoiler alert, obviously I'm here today. I'm not still in a hole in Mount Monganui Beach. So I did get out. The boys actually helped me out. <laughs> yeah, sons, yeah, give Dad a hand. And they did, and I appreciate that. But um, we're going to talk about getting unstuck. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, turn to John 11, verse 1. And this one will be up on the screen too. So John 11, this is a family that was stuck. Let's look at what they did. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany. Bethany's only a few kilometers out of Jerusalem. It's outer suburbs of Jerusalem. Um, he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And Martha was like, hey, you're not doing anything to help around the house. It was that one. Those guys, it says elsewhere that Jesus loved them. So they were friends of Jesus. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
Now, if you haven't read this, then feel free to just kind of scan ahead because there's some spoilers coming. We're not going to go through the whole story. You can find out what happens. But it's easy to read the first verses of the story. Lazarus was sick. The sisters sent word to Jesus and think, okay, this is, this is preamble for the fireworks. Jesus comes to town, bada bing, bada boom, and then it all happens. But I want to suggest this morning that this is more than just preamble or set up for a story. This is actually set up for a miracle. This is a recipe for getting unstuck. And I'll tell you why. Mary and Martha had a big problem. Their brother was getting sicker, progressively sicker and sicker, but they did something right. And it's something I want to call this morning the pivot. And it goes like this. Here's Lazarus. He's sick, but we're going to pivot and go to Jesus. Send message to Jesus. They didn't stay stuck on here is our problem. We need to try and fix the problem. Give him all the herbs and spices. Call doctor whoever. Those things aren't necessarily bad, but they pivoted. And that pivot's really important. Um, David in Psalm 121 wrote, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The problem is here but I'm going to pivot and look to Jesus. It sounds really simple. And in in lots of ways, it is simple. It's a simple idea, but sometimes we have thoughts that come into our head that rob us from doing that. Thoughts, our minds get flooded with thoughts like, well, why would God help me? What's the point? Would he even care enough about me? Or, or what have I done to deserve his help? What I look at what I've done this week. I'm not in those good books. Or even, look, okay, Pastor Lawrence, he has Bible knowledge coming out his ears. But who am I? Who am I? Why is God going to help me? Or even this one. I got myself into this mess, so it's up to me to get myself out of this mess. Sometimes these lies we have and these thoughts that go round in our head stop us from doing the very simple thing, which is take our eyes off the problem and pivot to Jesus. A few weeks ago, Andrew and I were meeting with a, um, a teenager who's just at the very beginning of discovering what Jesus is like. And he said, it, it fascinated me. So no church background at all, but he said this thing. He said, I was thinking about asking God for this, but then I didn't. Because you're not supposed to ask God for personal stuff, right? I wanted to go up to him and put my hands on the shoulder, on his shoulders and then go, that lies from the pit of hell. But I just want you to know as the youth leader, I did not do that. I think we said something like, well, actually God loves you and he loves. He loves when we receive from him. He's a good father. One of our themes for Activate this year And I think it's relevant for what we're talking about is Jesus is the drink for every thirst. Whatever is your need, Jesus is the drink. Whatever is your problem, Jesus is the beginning and quite possibly the end of the solution. Whatever is your thirst, receive from Jesus. Psalm 36.9, there's a slide for this, Noah. Psalm 36.9, for with you, God is the fountain of life. If you're a picturey, visual person, just imagine that. This is incredible word picture. With God is the fountain of life. We receive, we drink, we refresh. 
And Jesus said it to that, John 6.35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Now, bread back in those days was even better than Vogel's. Hard to believe. But even better than Vogel's, bread in those days was almost a complete nutrition package all in one. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the very source of what you know. I'm the very source of what feeds you. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. There's a promise. Take it to the bank. Come to me and you'll never go hungry. Believe in me and you'll never be thirsty. This is an amazing claim by Jesus. Come to me, pivot away from your problem, receive from me and you'll never go hungry, never be thirsty. I'm enough. No matter what your problem or what your situation, whether it's spiritual or unspiritual, because sometimes we think, ah, ah, God deals with the spiritual stuff, but I deal with everything else. Not true. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes, never be thirsty. No matter what your situation, spiritual or unspiritual, whether it's your fault or not your fault. Now, just consider, if God only, if God only intervened and helped people when it wasn't their fault, he wouldn't actually do very much. Am I right here? Are we being honest? Because that's actually the situation. We can't disqualify ourselves from that. Like Mary and Martha, when we take our eyes off the problem and receive from Jesus, when we realize this is bigger than me, Jesus, help. Jesus, I need your help. And the heart of God is, just give me this. Let me carry this. Made for us to journey together. Let me carry the weight. I've got this. And you're not going to believe what you can do when you put this situation in my hands. Let me take that for you. Let me read more from Psalm 36 because I think, it's, um, I think it's actually extraordinary. Oh, it's a bit hard to read that green one, isn't it? It says this. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. Does anyone's heart need to hear that today? Your unfailing love. This is the love of God that loves us on our best days and on our worst days. This love never fails. And David knew it was priceless. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Don't hear me say this is a soft message. David was possibly one of the greatest warriors of all time. When you read his story, when you read how many enemy soldiers he took down to earn the price of his first wife, different days we get that. But he was an extraordinary, he was an extraordinary warrior. His arms could bend a bow of bronze, and yet he said, I take refuge in the shadow of my God's wings. He knew what it was that God was the one who kept him safe. They feast on the abundance of your house. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. You give them drink from your river of delights. You give them drink from your river of delights. Let me read the NLT version of it. How precious is your constant love, O God. All humanity takes refuge in the shadow of your wings. All humanity. I love that. No one's disqualified. All humanity. You feed them with blessings from your own table and let them drink from your rivers of delight. And here's this incredible picture here. For you are the fountain of life. Our light is from your light. Our light is from your light. The things you see, the things you understand, your way ahead comes from God. I love that. We are literally made 
to receive from God, for him to be our life source and then to overflow. Receive and overflow. Pivoting is simple, but it's not necessarily easy. I want to talk for a sec about the difference between DIY and TIG. Doing it yourself and trusting in God. Because sometimes it's actually difficult for our hearts to actually understand that the gospel, the goodness of God towards us is completely undeserved. And we come up with excuses. Okay, this is a very Kiwi thing and I'm guilty of it myself at times. But sometimes we say things like, well, God gave us two hands, didn't he? Or some people are so heavenly, they're of no earthly good. I've heard that one a few. Who said that one? Have you heard that one? Or we can spiritualize this kind of DIY attitude. We'll misquote James 2.26 and say, well, faith without works is dead. So I've prayed, now I'm going to get to work. It's up to me. But this is not how the kingdom of God works. I want to read to you from Mark 4.26. This is a parable from Jesus. Not a common one, but it's in the book. Here we go. This is what the kingdom is like, Jesus said. So this is, this is the TIG, not the DIY. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. What does a man do? Scatters seed on the ground. That's all he does. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. So let's just run through it again because it's a real simple, it's a short parable. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or whether he eats, whether he gets up, the seed sprouts and grows though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, the head, then the full kernel. As soon as the grain's ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. God's kingdom is not DIY. It's about TIG. It's not about our ability to sort it out ourselves and solve our problems ourselves, but instead to trust in God and go, you've got it. It's not about you. And sometimes I think we get so caught up, I'm guilty of this too, of trying to solve our own problems, trying to make it work ourselves. I've got the situation, what do I do? Well, I've got to put my nose to the grind. I've got to sort it out. And yet God's going, will you hand it over? Will you give it to me? You won't believe what I'm going to do. More than you could dream of or imagine actually, but I can't do that until you've pivoted and looked to me. Now there's one more part of this. And, and, and listen to me clearly, I, I feel like, I wasn't sure about whether I should say this, but because of what we've been speaking about today, the pivot is a setup for a miracle. The pivot is the only way where we'll get into a place where we know that anything is possible. What do I mean? In, in Scripture, Abraham had a problem. Let's go way back. Abraham had a problem. He was 75 years old. He had no children, no descendants, no one to come after him. God met him. And promised him. He said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a land to call home. I'm going to give you so many descendants. They'll be like stars in the sky. And one of them will rule forever. Well, that's a pretty big promise. Abraham was 75 years old. What an incredible thing. So Abraham waited. A year passed. Nothing. Another year passed. Nothing. Now, I'm sure him and Sarah sowed many seeds, but they saw no harvest. Oh, sorry, I couldn't help but saying that. <laughs> I, d I wanted to say he wasn't literally everything doing nothing. I don't know about, no, I'm not going to go there. Anyway, anyway, we'd have to ask the, no, I'm not going to go there about the champions either. Anyway, all right, so 
He was sowing, but there was no harvest. Year after year after year, until finally, Sarah and Abraham hatched a plan. Well, let's sort this out ourselves. So he had a child with maidservant Hagar, and the son was Ishmael. Now, you only need to turn on the news today to know that didn't turn out very well. Ishmael was the father of the Arab nation, and still they're kind of annoyed with, with Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, right? That's in the news today. It goes way back to there. So Paul said something interesting about exactly that. And this affects whether we sort it out ourselves and try to DIY or whether we trust in God. Galatians 4.22, Paul writes, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. And that's really important because if you read Romans and you go through and it talks about the flesh, it's really easy to go, well, flesh is obviously sin. Someone's kicking a cat or killing a dolphin or something like that. They're the obvious ones, but but according to so many passages in, in the New Testament, the flesh is often us trying to do it ourselves instead of trust in God, and it doesn't work. And that's what Abraham was trying to do. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. But his son by the free woman was born as a result of the divine promise. God's promise to Abraham would never come about by his own works, by his own trying to sort it out, by his own DIY attempts, but only by him trusting in God. And it's the same for us. If we want to go more than just what we're seeing in front of us, if we want to see God's breakthrough, or according to the parable of the sower in Matthew, God's multiplication, it'll never happen by us just trying to sort it out. Is there a blessing for someone who works hard? Well, actually, biblically, yes, there is a blessing for Ishmael. But it's nothing compared to the promise, compared to the breakthrough and the multiplication we'll see in our relationships, in our health, in our finances. When God does extraordinary things in our lives, that happens only through the promise and trusting in God, not putting our faith just in the things that we do. It was the same for the Israelites. They're at the edge of the promised land. They were never going to receive their inheritance, however, by just working at it. Only the ones who trusted in God. So Joshua and Caleb didn't go, these giants run away. They went, look at the size of these grapes. This place is awesome. With God, nothing is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. I want to cover one more thing before we wrap up, and I feel like this is important. This is important for understanding the process of trusting God. God gave Abraham a promise when he's 75 years old, and nothing, 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 nothing. Why do we have to wait sometimes? And this is a big question, and Jesus, it's, it's actually hidden there incredibly in the story of Lazarus. When Jesus heard his friend Lazarus was sick, this is back, sick, this is back to John 11, he stayed where he was for two more days. We don't know exactly where Jesus was. He was somewhere on where John the Baptist used to baptize people, so probably about a day's walk, walk away. But when he found out, he stayed where he was for two more days. Why didn't he go straight away? Well, verse 15 says an incredible thing. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So you might believe. 
Now, let's unpack that a little because there's something kind of incredible happening here. Jesus didn't go straight away. He waited. From Mary and Martha's point of view, this was really bad. From Lazarus's point of view, possibly even worse because he literally died. But let's see what Jesus was going to do. Verse 15, for your sake, for the sake of the disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there so you might believe. Believe what? So up until that time, the disciples had seen Jesus heal the sick, give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. They knew he was the God who could do this much. One of my favorite lines from the Narnia series, I love the Narnia books by C.S. Lewis. Me and Quinn are reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe at the moment. But one of my favorite lines is when Lucy looks at Aslan, who's the, the Christ figure in the book, and goes, Aslan, you've grown. And here's what, here's what Jesus was talking about. So you would believe. Jesus wanted to let them know he wasn't just the God who can heal the sick, give sight to the blind, and make a deaf ear hear. He's the God who can make death come alive. He's the God who has authority over even that, first with Lazarus and then with the entire world. There's an incredible picture of salvation there. Jesus bringing someone back to life who didn't even know about it. What Jesus did affected everyone. It was actually quite extraordinary. So Jesus is taking our faith from here to here. To Abraham, he gave him a promise when he was 75. He could have given him a baby, okay, could have been the next day, could have been nine months later. Just move on from there, Mark. It could have been very soon that the baby would come. But he made him wait. Why? Because he wanted Abraham to know. It's very rare that someone has a baby when they're 75. But it's impossible that someone has a baby when they're 100. And God is the God of the impossible. And sometimes God allows us to go through the uncomfortableness of going, I'm trusting, but I haven't seen my answer yet because he's taking us from the thinking God is this big to knowing he's this big, that we can live in a place where we know we can trust God, that he's sure and he's faithful, even though we don't see it right in front of us at the time. If you follow through the story of Lazarus, and I encourage you to, it's amazing. John 11, Jesus knew what was gonna happen at the very start. He even declared the word of God. So this is the word himself declared, Lazarus is asleep. And the disciples, it's actually quite funny. They didn't get it. They're like, oh, it's just sleeping. What's the problem? Jesus goes, no, 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 he's dead. But he's declaring the promise from God. He's only sleeping. So when he went up to the tomb of Lazarus and said, come out, he did the impossible and he declared it. Now, in their culture, and again, this is God going, I do the impossible. In their culture, um, Jewish tradition was that the soul stayed with the body for three days. After three days, gone forever. So Jesus came to Lazarus on the fourth day because he is the God of the impossible, the God who turns around situations that can't be turned around. That's how good our God is. And our God is for us. I feel like I just need to say that again and again. He is for us. So this week, final story, I had a... I work in video production. I had a oh, car crash of a situation at work. Just, it was just going nuts. Um, I started to fuss. I started to stress. And then I felt like Jesus gave me a word. He said, this has happened, but this is what I'm going to do. And now it's my choice. I can DIY or I can TIG. I can just fuss, I can stress, probably be a bad husband and a bad dad because I'll be grumpy with everyone and I'll just 
make the kids do too much tidying or something like that. Or I can go, actually, I don't need to go there. I want to trust in God. I want to see what He's going to do and trust in His promise. Because I know that is going to be so much more than the DIY blessing. And I want to live in a place of multiplication. I want to live in a place where I see the impossible, where God does extraordinary things. So for my work situation, I'm going to keep reminding myself of the word of God, receiving from the bread of life. And honestly, could I be wrong? I could be wrong. But I actually want to live my life. And this is the choice. I want to live my life trusting in Him. And maybe the things I hope will happen won't happen, but I'm still going to live my life trusting in Him. Whatever is your situation, whether you're stuck at the end, whether you need a miracle or just hope, whatever your circumstances, it begins with us pivoting and receiving from Jesus. Can we stand this morning? We'll finish by praying. And as we pray for some of us, it might be an opportunity. Mark, would you mind um, playing while we pray? Maybe Piano Man by Billy Joel. No, I'm kidding, not Piano Man. Um, for so- <laughs> oh, you'd like that, Tony. <laughs> but no, not Piano Man. For some of us, <laughs> bring it back, bring it back, Mark. For some of us, this is actually an opportunity to say, God, for this circumstance and this situation, I'm going to turn to you. And I'm going to give it to you just right now. So can we close our eyes? Let's pray. God, Father God, our good Father God, thank you first of all that you are good. Thank you that your heart is you love to provide. Thank you that you say you provide all our needs according to your riches and glory. Thank you that we say we don't need to fear. Thank you that you're for us. Thank you that you're the one who even gave us your one and only son. So how would you not also give us all things? So our burdens, our cares, our future, our circumstances, right now, we give them to you. If it's helpful, sometimes if you're a picture person, just leave those things at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, this is yours. Your burden's light. For some of us, we might need to receive from the fountain of life, the bread of life, and just keep taking it and taking it in. Some of us feel like we've been leaking a lot lately. We'll just keep taking it in, taking it in. Because this is who our God is and our God is for us. So Father God, we leave at the foot of the cross our burdens, our circumstances, our problems. And we take the promise. We receive the promise in our heart that you are for us. Even if we caused it, You are for us. And you're a father, not about blame, not about condemnation, but about love. For some of us, God's greeting us now and going, now that weight is gone, now that heavy load's gone, just receive my embrace. Thank you for the life in Jesus. 
Thank you for the life of Jesus. God, thank you that you are very real and very involved in our actual lives. You're not just an idea. Thank you, Jesus.